Our lives are built by the stories we tell of our experiences. In a death or other devastating loss of relationship, ability, homeland, dream, even traumatic event, is akin to the manuscript of our lives being torn to shreds and handed back to us with no instructions on how to rewrite or live our lives. And grief is the journey we're on as we rewrite and live into our emerging story. Hi friends, it's your host, Lisa Kefauver here. Welcome back to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. That shredded manuscript metaphor is one I developed so long ago. I've used it hundreds of times over the years to help all of us expand our understanding of grief. It's been at the heart of every conversation on this podcast over these past four seasons, to be sure. I teach it to my undergraduate students, share it on stages, including the TEDx stage earlier this year, and honestly, in every place I hold space for grievers. Of course, it frames how I see my own grief, too, as someone who lost a husband, a friend, a dog, and the grief I'm experiencing now as I navigate breast cancer treatment. In this final episode of the season, I'm going to do something different. Instead of bringing you a conversation with a guest, I'm going to take you behind the scenes. Today, I will share some stories and lessons I've learned and continue to learn over this past season. And when I say season, yes, I'm referring to the lessons I've learned from the podcast, from my guests. But today, perhaps more importantly, I'm referring to this season of my life, living with cancer. I'm getting deeply personal in the hopes that we can learn, grow, and navigate grief together. If you're a regular listener to the show, you may have noticed that I took a longish break early in the season as we moved into 2023. At first, that was for some incredibly exciting reasons. The final manuscript of my book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, an Uncensored Guide to Navigating Loss, was due to my publisher, UT Press, at the end of January. Plus, I had fulfilled my lifelong dream of getting a spot on the TEDx stage, and I needed to write, rehearse, and memorize my talk to be delivered at the end of February. And then I got a call no one wants to get. On a Friday night, no less. Of course it was on a Friday night. So I was left to live in anguish over the weekend, staring at the results in my patient portal, not understanding what they meant. All the voice on the other end of the phone said that night was, I'm sorry, you have breast cancer. The diagnosis came more than a year after the doctor conducting the initial ultrasound dismissed the lump I discovered on my breast as nothing, just a twisted milk duct, she said. Two mammograms since then were reviewed, and I was told, you're fine. Come back next year for your routine mammogram. After relentless self-advocacy and one thoughtful RN who somehow decided to go back and look at her notes, and plus two more doctor visits later, of course, they finally did a biopsy, which came back as triple positive breast cancer. I should also mention that my late husband and I went from doctor to doctor for more than a year when he had concerning symptoms, and doctors just said things like, oh, it's just depression or mental health or something like that. 
No need to do testing, just go to therapy. Only to discover just two and a half weeks before he died in my arms that it had been a grapefruit-sized brain tumor all along. So, yeah, I'm experiencing some serious medical trauma right now. I underwent further testing, some of which was a waste of time, to be honest. Others were appropriate, but the delays in scheduling were terrifying, as was the experience of waiting for the results, of course. As it turns out, it was a mix of good news and bad, kind of like life. My genetic test results came back negative, thank goodness. On the other hand, they discovered a second cancerous mass in the same breast. Still, I want you to know, my prognosis is good. So during the production of this season of the podcast, here are just a few highlights of the things that happened to me. And notice that language I chose there. It was intentional. I said happened to me because one of the things I quickly discovered about being a cancer patient going through treatment, much like navigating life in the wake of any kind of loss, is the feeling that we have no agency over our lives or our well-being. In March, I had a lumpectomy surgery where they removed a large lymph node in the armpit and the front half of my left breast. I immediately developed a seroma on my breast, which is a fancy word for an infection, and was given a heavy course of antibiotics. In April, I prepped to begin chemotherapy, which was scheduled for 12 straight weeks, and immunotherapy, which I will receive every three weeks until the middle of next May. Receiving all these medicines required I have another surgery, where a port catheter was installed in my chest, allowing them to deliver all the medicine they need without collapsing the veins in my arms. I researched, and when I say research, let's be honest, aka Googled, the supplies I might need for this journey. That included buying mitts and booties that contained ice packs to prevent either temporary or permanent numbing in my hands and feet. In May, about a week before my 52nd birthday, I began chemotherapy and immunotherapy treatment. I had a frightening reaction when they increased the chemo medication dosage on day one. And when I say frightening, I mean the kind where three or more nurses rushed into the room and they had to put oxygen tubes in my nose. From the first chemotherapy session on May 16th to the last on August 1st, I spent the entire three plus hours in the infusion chair with my feet and hands encased in those ice packs while the medicine dripped into my body. Now I knew my hair would fall out and I wanted to feel in control of something, anything at that point. So two days before my birthday, my kind hairdresser came to my home, and with my best friend by my side, she shaved my head bald. I captured it on video, and honestly, I haven't been able to watch it back yet. Half a boob, a missing lymph node, a lump full of tubes inside my chest, and now no hair? Who am I? This is the thoughts that I wondered. My body had a second frightening reaction to the increase in medication during the third round of chemo. That meant each subsequent session, Benadryl was administered through my port on top of all the other drugs I was given to make sure my body didn't shut down again. It also meant I couldn't drive myself to or from any appointments. Because let me tell you, Benadryl intravenously, whoa, packs a punch. 
During that same period, I developed incredibly painful sores covering my entire head. I mean entire head, some of which got infected. I got very minimal sleep for several weeks on end because laying down in any position was excruciating. By June, everything tasted like metal or disgusting or like nothing at all. My mouth felt like it was covered in cotton for days at a time. I had days-long headaches, and my left eye, for some reason, decided to start twitching pretty much nonstop. My brain was so foggy, not unlike the grief brain we experience in the wake of loss. My energy was low, and to be honest, so was my mood. On August 1st, I finished chemotherapy. Man, was I happy. And as I slowly began to regain some strength, all of my eyelashes and eyebrows fell out. Really? Half a boob, a large lymph node scar, a lump in my chest, a bald head, and now no eyelashes and eyebrows? Y'all, we need eyebrows, I'm telling you. I didn't recognize the person looking back at me in the mirror. In September, I started a 23-day course of radiation. As I record this today, my left ribs are in tremendous pain from lying face down on the radiation table for the past 15 days. Thankfully, the last eight will be on my back. But you want to know what else happened during this exact same period I just described? People wanted to help me, and you want to know something even crazier? I let them. As a widow and an only parent for the past 12 years, I got so good at just doing everything myself, to be honest. Well, or so I thought. It wasn't good for me or for my daughter. And even though I tell my clients, my daughter, my social media followers, and you, my listeners, that it's beautiful to let people help you, I got to be honest. When I received my diagnosis, my first instinct was to just handle it, not bother anyone. I immediately had thoughts like, I don't want to once again be the bummer in the room. Do you ever have those thoughts? But the universe had a different message for me. Because, you see, my diagnosis came in 10 days before my book was due to the publisher. And in the mysterious and divine timing of life, I only had one chapter left to write. Can you guess what the subject was? (laughs) Yeah. It was on the lessons on receiving help. The chapter is called Your Turn to Buddy Breathe. It's a play on lessons I learned as a young scuba diver. When you're running out of air, you need to ask your dive buddy to share their oxygen with you. So, yeah, I spent those 10 days after being diagnosed with cancer when it felt impossible to take a deep breath, writing a chapter on why it's important to let people help you to help all of us in our grief. Ugh, okay, universe, I hear you loud and clear. Jeez. I immediately committed then and there to bravely asking for and graciously receiving support. When my mom offered to fly from Vermont to California to take care of me in the days after my lumpectomy surgery, instead of saying, I'll be fine, I said, that would be amazing, mom. Thanks. When distant or new friends asked for my mailing address or my Venmo handle even because they wanted to send me something, Even though my instinct was to say, oh, I'm fine, I don't need anything, don't bother, I just gave them my address, my Venmo handle, and said, 
Thank you. I appreciate the gesture. When my hairdresser offered to come to my house free of charge to shave my head in private, instead of saying, I don't want to trouble you or I should pay you something for your time. Instead, I said, that's really kind. I do think that would make this difficult experience a little bit easier. When my Instagram-only friend Kesha said her daughter wanted to knit me a cap for my newly bald head, instead of saying, oh, she doesn't need to do that for me, I said, that's so kind. Thank you, and thank her for me. When three old friends offered to fly across the country to take turns bringing me to some of my 12 chemotherapy appointments, instead of saying, that's too much money, you don't need to do that for me, I said, thank you, that would be amazing. When two brand new friends in my new town in Southern California offered to drive me drive me to chemotherapy since I wasn't allowed to drive myself, remember that intravenous Benadryl, instead of saying, I don't want to bother you, we hardly know each other, I said, thank you. I'd really appreciate that. It'll give us a chance to get to know each other better. When a close friend generously offered to celebrate completing chemotherapy by flying me to Seattle to see... Beyonce herself in concert. Instead of saying, that's too extravagant, or I'm not sure I'm the one you want to go to a show like that with, I said, that sounds amazing. Thank you for your generosity. I'm in. And P.S., I rocked the hell out of a pink wig and silver sequins. Queen Bay would have been so proud of me. You can see my Instagram at Lisa Kefauver MSW for a sneak peek at that look if you're curious. Anyhow, do you know what happened after spending months graciously receiving all the help they offered me? The help helped. Who would have figured? Not just for the obvious and practical reasons. But growing up in a culture that is hyper-individualistic and maybe like me in a family who shares that same pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mentality, many of us believe that if we're vulnerable and show the people in our lives that we need support, It's going to create distance and awkwardness. We think we will be judged or ostracized. But what I discovered, or should I say rediscovered in this season of my life, is just the opposite is true. My friendships with old friends were deepened even further than I ever thought possible. My newer friendships blossomed so quickly, too. Instead of feeling like a burden or a bother, I felt seen and held and truly, deeply loved. Even though I spend much of my time alone, I feel more deeply connected to more people than I ever have before. Now, don't get me wrong. I also feel a deep sense of aloneness sometimes. Navigating cancer is making Eric's absence even more visible. Being sick and being a widow means I don't have anyone here with me day in and day out. No one to help me figure out if that weird symptom that shows up at 2 a.m. is something I should go to the emergency room for. No one to hug me and comfort me when the waves of discomfort consumes me. I'm telling you this because I want to be transparent. Recently, I shared on Instagram that I noticed I couldn't even write in my journal about all the difficulties around loneliness I was having without also wanting to and my way out of it, to write all the positive things too. I noticed that I was using and as a bypass to sit with the hard feelings like loneliness that I'm experiencing off and on these days. 
And yet I just have to tap into that willingness to share even my feelings of loneliness with others to be reminded of the fact that I'm not alone. That message resonated with so many of you and your willingness to share with that with me immediately made me feel less alone. I also discovered that my willingness to receive support to show my vulnerability was a gift to my friends. You heard me correctly. It's a gift. Each time I admitted that I felt broken or scared or unable to do something, I was giving my friends permission to feel even more comfortable sharing their own hard things with me too. And they did. It also made them feel better because we all want to help the people we care for. And I'm not going to lie, it wasn't always easy. Sometimes it really was awkward at first, but it was so worth it. I also want to give a shout out to the many friends, including guests on this show, who have recently or are currently experiencing breast cancer too. This season alone, there are five of us. We have become a lifeline for one another. In fact, Weiwen Sato, my guest earlier this season, and now dear friend, was diagnosed with a different form of breast cancer the exact same day as me. All these experiences reminded me that love and belonging is always there, but it took me opening myself up to it to really feel it. After this next break, I'm going to guide you in a practice that will help you feel more loved and connected too. Be right back. Friends, you may not know this about me, but I'm a sucker for anything that combines peanut butter and chocolate. But what my body doesn't need is excess sugar, which is why I love the fact that Mosh Peanut Butter Chocolate Crunch Protein Bars have no added sugars. What I also love is that Mosh founders Patrick Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver made their brain health and wellness company mission-driven, donating a portion of all the proceeds to support women's brain research through the Women's Alzheimer's Movement at Cleveland Clinic. Mosh protein bars are a convenient and delicious snack that nourishes the brain and body while also giving back to others. Like peanut butter and chocolate, I'd say that's a winning combination. After the show today, head to moshlife.com forward slash sneaky to save 20% off plus free shipping on your first six count trial pack. What? Yes, you heard me. Mosh is offering my listeners 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack, which includes all six delicious flavors. Head to M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com forward slash sneaky. You know by now that I'm a big believer in the both and approach to life. And since I shared a lot of the hard things I've been going through, it feels important to share that over the past nine months, I've also experienced some incredible things too. My first book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, An Uncensored Guide to Navigating Loss, has completed its copy editing phase with the book cover and design phase happening right now. Pinch me. We'll even be ready for pre-orders by the end of this year and officially drop in stores in June. At the end of February, I crushed the delivery of my 17-minute TED Talk, Why Knowing More About Grief Can Make It Suck Less. You can watch it on my website, lisakefauver.com, or by visiting the TEDx YouTube page. 
I also had a chance random encounter with Maria Shriver. It happened in a local coffee shop, and we dove deep into conversation about grief, a topic we're both passionate about. She even featured this podcast in her Sunday paper. That was so exciting. I carried on having deep and meaningful conversations with the likes of Cindy Spiegel, Rabbi Steve Leader, Michelle Horde, Colin Campbell, Barbara Becker, Laurel Braitman, Steph Jagger, and so many more. The nonprofit Medicinal Media created a gorgeous 10-minute video feature spotlighting me as an important media maker. I also launched a grief learning circle series It's something I've been dreaming of for a while. I'll tell you about it later in the show. Oh, and maybe the most important thing, I adopted the most gorgeous rescue puppy. Her name is Frankie, and she's the best companion anyone could have. You can see her picture from time to time on my socials too. But don't worry, I've also been sleeping a lot moving my body, going to therapy, meditating daily, and just giving myself permission to feel all the feels of navigating cancer treatment. But if you'd like to watch my TED Talk, check out that medicinal media video feature, join our learning circle and more. After the show today, head to lisakiefover.com. And while you're there, you can easily stay up to date on me, how I can support you, news on the show, by signing up for my not-so-regular newsletter. I think it's important to name that love and belonging, what I experienced when I let people show up for me, aren't a luxury. They are essential human needs. It's what allows us not only to survive, but eventually heal and thrive. Yet amid our darkest times, like the deep grief you might also be experiencing right now, those things can feel so out of reach. Four or five years ago, in a deep wave of my own grief, when the notion of love in all its forms felt so painfully out of reach, I needed a way to reconnect with a sensation of love and belonging. So I developed a daily mantra, which I turned into a full-length meditation, and I've guided hundreds of people over the past few years through this meditation on love for grievers. So today, I thought I'd guide you too. Now, don't worry. You don't need to know how to do meditation or be good at it, which isn't a thing, by the way. You just need to find a place to get comfortable. If you're driving while listening to this podcast, hit pause until you're not having to concentrate on driving, or maybe even pull over and park your car if you're not in a hurry to be somewhere. If you're out for a walk, you can make this a walking meditation. The beauty walks I take that you might have heard me talk about is my favorite way to do meditation. If you're standing somewhere or in a noisy spot, I encourage you to find a quiet place where you can sit comfortably. Okay, I want to invite you to take some time to center into your body as we begin. That could be sitting comfortably, adjusting where you are, moving the cushions. Allow your body to feel supported by the chair. Or notice the sensation of your feet on the ground. You might draw your awareness to your head and neck. And just be curious about the sensations you notice when you arrive there. 
maybe tracing that down to your shoulders. And if they're up by your ears, which for many of us they are, just roll them up and back and down. See if there's tension in your jaw. Perhaps you might open your mouth wide. Then let it release with your mouth resting slightly open. And now I want you to bring your awareness to your heart, your beautiful heart that sustains you. You might place your hands over your heart in a gesture of care and bring your awareness there. In case you're new to meditation, or even if you're not, I want to remind you that the goal in meditation is not for your mind to wander. It will. In fact, yours already probably has. Instead, we're cultivating this practice of noticing when it happens, hmm, my mind has wandered, and then setting down wherever we've gone, either into stories of the past or worries of the future, and return our awareness to this moment maybe returning your awareness to the sensation of your hands over your heart. I want you to take some time focusing on your breathing next. You can set your hands down on your lap, or if it felt caring, you can leave your hands over your heart for the rest of the meditation today. Without changing your breath, I just want you to take a moment to see if you can discover the subtle rise and fall in your chest as you inhale and exhale, even without making any effort. Now I want to encourage you to inhale a little more deeply through your nose and slow your exhale, allowing it to release from your mouth. Inhaling slowly, feeling your belly fill first and then your chest. Exhaling slowly, allowing everything to soften and release. Spend a few rounds extending your inhalations and exhalations on your own. I'll be right here. The next time you get to your exhalation, just return your breath to that no effort breath where we began. And remember, when your mind wanders, just be kind and curious. Set down where you've gone and come back to the sound of my voice. I want us to recognize or notice how our thoughts manifest in our bodies and in return, how our bodies reflect those thoughts, radiating them back into the world through our energy, through our words, and our actions. In our bodies, we are wired neurobiologically to respond to danger or threat. And there's good in that, to be sure. It's what allows us to keep ourselves safe. However, this isn't meant to be a state that we sit and live in daily, yet we often do, especially in the harmful times of grief. But it's harmful to our bodies, our minds, and our souls to stay in that state. But there's another truth about what we're wired for. We often forget that we're also wired for love, connection, attachment, 
essentially, we're wired for belonging. This is for our survival too, yet we give very little attention or intention to love in our daily lives. In times of grief, like the loss of a loved one, the loss of possibility, the loss of normalcy, we often feel particularly detached from the experience and expression of love. Yet the loss of a relationship or of a certain future doesn't mean love is gone. On the contrary, it's an opportunity to see and appreciate love in all its manifestations, even as this love is transforming. So today's meditation is a reminder that what we focus on becomes our reality. It's an invitation to bring love to the center of our awareness, to draw and sustain our attention on the sensations of love, to commit to seeing love, feeling love, radiating love, and receiving love. Next, I'm going to offer you a series of experiences that we all might walk through. And after each, I'm going to invite you to offer yourself this phrase. May I see love, feel love, radiate love, receive love. And each time I offer you this phrase, I'm inviting you to repeat it either in your own mind or even out loud. When despair clouds my vision, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, receive love. When fear immobilizes my body, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, receive love. When loneliness seeps into my joints, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, receive love. When anger constricts my heart, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, and receive love. When joy brightens my day, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, and receive love. When delight dazzles my senses, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, receive love. When hope swells my heart, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, receive love. When amazement makes me breathless, may I see love, feel love, radiate love, receive love. can join us together one last time in offering ourselves this invitation. May I see love. May I feel love. May I radiate love. 
May I receive love. I want to invite you to slowly bring your awareness back to the sensations, perhaps of your feet on the floor. Maybe take a moment to notice the sights around you. Listen to the subtle or obvious sounds in your space. Welcome back. I'm curious what you noticed in your body. Did tears stream down your face? Did you feel warmth in your heart? Or maybe you felt aching in your arms? Remember to approach yourself with curiosity, not judgment. Show up for yourself now and always in the same loving and compassionate way you would show up for your best friend. I want to invite you to join me in my morning practice to incorporate love into my day. When your feet first touch the ground before you stand up in the morning, gaze at a favorite object or maybe even just the light coming in the window. Place your hand over your heart and say it out loud. May I see love. May I feel love. May I radiate love. May I receive love. As I begin to wind down this final episode of season four, and before I give you a little sneak peek at some of the fascinating guests coming your way in season five, I promised I'd tell you about that intimate learning circle series that I launched. I think one of the hardest and most surprising things about being a griever is how difficult it is to show up in most spaces just as we are. There's a lot of pressure to perform into our okayness. Do you feel that way sometimes? I imagine you do. You likely know about me that holding space is central to my purpose. It's what I get to do for my guests on each episode of this podcast. But it's not just my guests that deserve space like that. We all do. I'm excited to share that I've launched a monthly online learning circle series. It's a workshop space for us to learn, grow, and navigate grief together. Each second Saturday of the month, beginning October 14th, we will come as we are to reimagine grief together, exploring a different topic each month through a combination of education, journaling, small group discussions, community share if you want to, guided mindfulness practices, and of course, a little Q&A with me. You can learn more and sign up for one Saturday or the whole series at the link in the show notes for today's episode or of course, by visiting lisakiefover.com after the show today. Oh, my friends, I hope you know that hosting this show brings me so much joy. Being able to have these conversations and continue bringing you new episodes over the past nine months has truly been a gift and a lifeline for me. Hosting this show is, well, in deep alignment with my purpose. In fact, I love it so much, I've already begun recording conversations for season five of the podcast, which will be launching sometime in November. I had the absolute privilege of already sitting down with four guests. Emily Nagoski, co-author of the transformational book, Burnout, The Secrets to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, 
M and Sal, co-hosts and co-authors of Good Morning Podcast and their latest book, Good Morning. I had a beautiful conversation with Wendy McNaughton, author of the illustrated book, How to Say Goodbye. And Brennan Woods from the Dougie Center and I explored what it means to be a child in grief. I'll be sitting down with author Chris Carr to explore her memoir, I'm Not a Morning Person, grief therapist and author of Conscious Grieving, Claire Bidwell-Smith, and so many more. I don't want to give away all the surprises. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you're alerted when the new season drops. If you love the show this season, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and write a review. Oh, and don't forget, you can spend time with me one Saturday a month by joining my online learning circle workshop series. Sign up today at lisakiefauver.com. That's Lisa, K-E-E-F-A-U-V-E-R.com. Thanks for listening to me today. It took some convincing by friends to spend this final episode of the season telling you what's been going on behind the scenes. But I knew deep down that you're just the community of people who can kindly and lovingly hold space for me. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate each and every one of you. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Thank you for listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. Until next season, I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart. <laughs>